Dug it. Dug it. Dug in it. Welcome to Dug It, the podcast. Hope you're dug in it. Cool. Well, um, thanks for the time, Jack. So we just you were just saying that you're uh, in your kind of workshop studio down in Lyle Bay. Um, so the the you I don't even know actually how to pronounce uh the brand name exactly, but it was it was organic dynamic, and now you're Vajura. Vajura, yeah. So it, it means it's like Latin for um, lush green vegetation, and so we're we're kind of working on trying to make the world's fully plant based surfboard, and so that's kind of where that came from. Beautiful. Now I like the I like the name. What was um, what why the change from or organic dynamic was that a, a well, there's a couple of a couple of reasons, but the main reason that we wanted to change is that we have been sort of trying to um, start using more plant-based materials, but not all the materials that we were experimenting with are certified organic. And so, for example, we're working with this foam manufacturer who's developed a PLA foam made from cornstarch, and we really want to start using that as the core of our boards but the corn isn't grown using organic farming practices. And so, and, and you can't get organic PLA. And so it's a good, it, like using the, um, the corn foam is from a sustainability perspective, it's better than using the current um, petroleum based foam that we're using, but we just didn't want to really be misleading with the use of the term organic because um, inherently, especially in like um, obviously food, Kind of conversations organic means that it's grown with the absence of pesticides and um yeah so it's more for like transparency and like legal reasons yeah yeah uh well um i'm wearing my old organic mechanic hoodie oh from, yeah from uh when it's I, the, yeah yeah i remember seeing your brand i thought that's cool but it's a bit like uh the vegan influences or something they build their whole brand around this you know this one ideology and then something changes and they kind of like got this uh <laughs> yeah. this um, hypocrisy I, or... yeah well when i came up with that that original name i was just making boards like the hollow wood boards and so the material is all pretty much organic um then because obviously trees don't they don't use pesticides to grow trees and so it sort of felt quite appropriate um and then over time, our constructions have developed a little bit and now like um, our materials have changed and it just was a time to kind of be a little bit more transparent about that, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, for those who are just just tuning in, um, some with Jack, is it uh, Candish? Candlish. Candlish, yeah, it's got an L in there. Yeah. yeah, that must be an English name, is it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, so you got Vajira surfboards. Um, I mean, I'm a passionate surfer, got into it a bit late, uh, but also into the sustainability, you know, organic food, all that kind of thing. And the the surf culture around, um, you know, being innovative, you know, you watch these old documentaries about the guys who started pioneering building the boards from wood, from the early uh, Alia, I think it is, um in yep. hawaii that you know the the simplest of boards to then you know the different wooden constructions and how the technology evolved over time um but 
you know, you, you have brands like Patagonia and these purest surfers and it's such a beautiful sport where it's just you aboard and you're in nature. Um, and most surfers really cherish the water and the environment they're in. And then, so when you get, you know, these chemicals used in the wetsuits and the boards, um, you know, you start unraveling that. It's a bit of a like, oh, just, it's, it's, it's hard to know where, yeah, it's hard to know where to start. Um, and so I'd love to hear where you kind of kicked off in your process to try and make the sport more sustainable. Yeah, sure. So yeah, you're bang on there. Like most of the boards pre-1950s were made out of um, like balsa wood or polonia and other light timbers. And then when polystyrene was invented, I think it was like mid-1950s, people started using that. And then they'd um, use like uh, polystyrene foam as the core, fiberglass and um, resin to make them strong. And then that sort of evolved, like that sort of construction state is pretty much stayed the most predominant construction um, like foam core with fiberglass on top for the last sort of 50, 60, 70 years. And, um, but they've switched out from using polystyrene to using polyurethane foam because it's a lot easier to work with. Um, and you can achieve different flex patterns and stuff with it. And then instead of using the epoxy resins, they use like polyester resin. And so um, those, the combination of those two boards, like the polyester um, resin and the polyurethane foam, they make like the, probably like the, from a performance standpoint, like most people would say that they're the best performing boards, but the contradictory part of, um, of that construction obviously is that those chemicals are really toxic, both to the shapers and the people that are, are making the blanks and the boards and the, um, and the environment. And so I, when I was, um, before I was making boards, I was surfing those boards and that was my personal preference. But then every time I got a ding or, um, or cracked a board or whatever, I'd have to repair it and I'd use those materials. And I started getting some um, like pain in my like lower back. And it turned out that it was the toxic, the toxins in those chemicals were like getting into like my, I think it's the kidneys. And that was what's causing the pain. And I was like, well, that's pretty crazy. And then I started doing a little bit more research and, and found out you know, a bit more about those materials. And for me, surfing has always been like an escape and getting out and enjoying nature and immersing myself in that kind of beautiful natural environment. And so I was like, this is, you know, this is broken. Um, and, and I sort of thought, oh, you know, I should do something about it. And at the time I had like a, a joinery business. I was making like furniture and, um, and that kind of thing. And we also had a, a few machines, like a laser cutter and a, a CNC machine and, and stuff. And so I started doing a little bit of research online and I came across this other way of making boards, which is um, where you basically laser cut. Well, back in the day, they used to just cut these parts out by hand, um, like these interlocking kind of um, fuselages, glue them together and then laminate wood on the top and the bottom and on the, on the rails. And so I, I had all the tools to do that. So I thought, oh, I'll give that a go. And I made a few, um, maybe uh, half a dozen boards for myself and that construction and, and they were pretty good. Um, and then I sort of refined the process and stuff and, and started selling those a little bit, but I was having issues um, with people putting their foot through the board and then the board filling up with water. Um, and so um, I sort of went back to the drawing board and that's when I started um, to develop like the, the kind of current construction, which is where we take um, like recycled polystyrene. So like uh, demolished buildings, are kind of our main source of foam. And then we, process those and make them as the that's the core material and then we use the the wood and the natural materials to skin them so that's kind of 
the where we're at. Yeah. Cool. So you were you were um so and into carpentry uh from the start have you always kind of been into tools and and that kind of thing making furniture or what was the um skill set always been always been into wood and making things out of timber studied industrial design um which is like a um like a kind of degree where if you want to make like develop products and, and make furniture and stuff it's a really good degree for that um and then out i in my final year of uni, I failed a paper and I had to wait a year to go back and finish it and get the degree. And I thought, oh, well, I won't apply for any jobs. Um, I won't apply for any jobs until I've got a degree because otherwise you just look like a little bit of a, you know, <laughs> an idiot. So I thought I'll, um, I'll just do, um, work in some pubs and do a little bit of, you know, like make some stuff in my parents' garage kind of thing. And so I bought a little vinyl cutter and I started doing, making signs for mostly for like the trades people that came into the pub, I'll just make the stickers for their cars. And then that kind of led to doing a few building signs. And then that led to doing like full commercial fit outs. And yeah. And then I, next thing I know, I was like this sort of big joinery factory with like a few staff making all these cafes and stuff. And then it just got really stressful. And, um, and then I just, yeah. And then I just sort of wanted to start doing some personal projects in the evening. So I'd do, I'd work in the evenings and uh, make, cafes and furniture and stuff and then start making boards in the evenings and then sort of just transition transitioned out really yeah cool it reminds me a bit of um i'm reading david trubridge's or linda trubridge's book about their um sailing trip what's called passages oh, just cool. next to me and um yeah it's quite cool how he you know it's quite self-taught and innovative um you know and and it would create unique unique kind of really unique designs and um of of all kinds of things and and then just it just kept getting more and more commissions and then art pieces and furniture pieces and fit outs and they're doing it while they're sailing and yeah. it just kind of um organically grew from his passion of using wood uh which yeah, yeah such a beautiful material um and i think there's something about crafts that are making a comeback but the yeah i mean the the issue of sustainability and surfing, I because I've got a couple of the Firewire Timbertech boards, um, which I first, you know, I just wanted something that's sustainable, that was strong, that that's yep. that's where I first kind of looked. Um, and then did a bit more research, you know, found about you. And I also saw there was a, a piece, um, a PR piece about a new merino core that was coming out, um, you know, using wool to as, as like a foam i believe well, that's um, a, i think that's the um the paul baron um boards that are made in the mouth yeah and i i think they my understanding of and i could be wrong but um well, the, the ones that i've sort of seen that they're like polystyrene core and then they've got a um, merino wall skin okay. on the outside yeah there might be something there might be some new developments in the phone and the a core that's made out of wool but i'm not i'm not familiar with that yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I read Patagonia's book and they're like, there's a cost to making anything from a sweatshirt to a um, to a cup to a surfboard. Uh, and so how do you... And then there's so much kind of greenwashing around these things and confusion. Um, and even for myself, when I was painting, you know, a lot, and you use oils and terps, and I had a friend get, you know, Jordan Barnes, who was actually down in Wellington, he got so sick, he almost passed out. He didn't even realize it just because of the terps fumes were building up. 
you know, sure, yeah, the same yeah. thing, kidney issues. Um, and then I remember being up at Ahipara not that long ago and uh, there was this guy out the back and he was, you know, he had that kind of slow speech and the chemical kind of impairments and he was one of Roger Hall's first um, glasses or something. I think he'd been glassing right. boards for his whole life. Uh, yeah. And just those, just the the fumes and the, those chemicals to, I mean, where is kind of surfboard in your process at? Because I, I haven't had a friend make a board like you did. He's a boat builder. He built, you know, the, um, like built a frame, yeah, just, a jig, and, you know, yeah. lays all out boat building construction, did everything by hand. He actually had a paddle board. He's like, that's a bad idea. It's such a big board. That's <laughs> your first thing. Yeah. But I had the valve to let the air out and all of that. And, um, but to make something that's more scalable, that's more durable. I mean, where is where are you at now? Where do you want to see it go to um, in the future? Or where do you think it can go? Yeah, so we're I mean we're at a stage now where we've got like a, the boards that we make are, um, as eco friendly as we can make them with off the shelf materials, and so we're just using using like materials that are readily readily available, which is the polystyrene. Um, New Zealand growing polonia and we import uh, hemp fiber and then we use like a, a non-toxic glue and uh, plant-based epoxy. Um, the next sort of stages to take the product to the next level we need to start developing our own kind of materials not necessarily from like um, with the case of like for example the plant foam the, the material development's been done but we just need to develop the production systems to turn them into surfboard blanks and so we're working on that at the moment. And I think that's going to be like a, um, a huge step, like stepping um, stone in the, in the right direction towards a, um, a, a really, truly sustainable board. Um, there's so many factors when it comes into like, like, um, like uh, I guess you'd call it like the sort of life cycle analysis of a, of a product. It's, you, you look at the material sourcing um, and then the, the transportation of those materials to the site. Um, the manufacturing and, and how much waste you're producing, what's um, what you're doing with your waste, and um, and then also like end of life as well, and, and trying to minimise the environmental impact of those materials and that product the whole way through. And so one of the um, one of the things that I'm not really satisfied with the, the current product um, is the the fact that the polystyrene core. Um, at the end of life, like there is people that do recycle it and we get out all our offcuts recycled locally. But if we send the board to say, you know, Auckland or whatever, um, there's no facilities up there with, that I'm aware of where they could, you know, take that board in and they could take it apart and um, dispose of it responsibly. And so um, if we can get the plant foam going, then um, the, the, the PLA is commercially compostable. And so it, it, it creates a, um, like uh, there's obviously no petro petrochemicals in it. It's 100% um, plant-based. Um, and so you're not sort of um, taking oil from the ground. You're just taking oil um, from like corn plants, which are grown in the States. And then um, it's transported to New Zealand in these tiny little beads and then expanded here. So there's not any like logistical, but it's very minor log logistical implications. And then, um, and then blown locally, and then we can compost all with, with when we start using the plant foam, it means that all like our floor dust, 
which is currently contaminated with polystyrene. So that we might have like, say for example, in our shaping bay, we might have um, like a, a bag a week of, um, of dust. And because it's got polystyrene in it, we can't do anything with it. Um, we have to take it to the landfill because um, even though maybe like 60% of that's wood dust and it's compostable, but because maybe 30% of it is foam dust, it ends up in landfill. And so with this plant foam, it means that all our dust, all our waste is going to be compostable. And um, the, the big commercial composting companies don't accept PLA. So we're going to set up our own little um, kind of small scale composting facility. And it means that we can compost all our waste um, at that kind of um, production, all that production waste. And then at the end of life, um, the board, with the exception of like the resin and the fin plugs, will also be compostable. So you could put it in like a commercial compost heap and it would um, it would break down. You probably would be more efficient to like pull it apart and um, and and separate the different materials and stuff. But it, it's, a, it's a step towards, you know, creating something that, you know, when, when you say it's done, you know, you can actually dispose of it responsibly. And so that's kind of like the next big step for us. As far as like the scaling and stuff goes, um, I'm sort of, I've been working like, um, probably like the last few years been working maybe half my time making boards and then half my time um, developing developing like automated machinery and, and building uh, like a production system which allows us to make the boards more efficiently um, and doing that it, it means that we can compete on price with the likes of like Firewire who have um, significantly lower like labor costs than local manufacturing and the idea is that um, well, like it's kind of like a sort of we've got like a sort of two-stage sort of process at the moment we're just making boards they're all made in wellington by me and i sell boards all around new zealand and the odd one overseas um stage two is going to be like um shaper supply so we're going to start supplying shapers with blanks and we'll do like the grunt work down here and all the assembly and the cutting and all the kind of nerdy stuff and then we'll send them the blank and then they can do all the finishing work and the like refining like the, the, the sort of hands-on stuff and their shaping base and um, we've got a factory getting set up at the moment in Raglan and um, that should be set up in the next sort of few weeks. I'm supposed to be going there next weekend as long as we don't get any more COVID cases around. And, um, and then the stage three, once we kind of nail that, is going to be um, kind of licensing the technology overseas so that other, um, other manufacturers around the world can offer the same sort of um, construction. Um, there's lots of challenges, obviously, in doing that. Um, but that's the plan. <laughs> oh, that's neat. I mean, yeah, it brings up a couple of points for me. Even someone uh, messaged me the other day saying, you know, you're into sustainability and this, what are you doing driving a, a Land Rover Defender? Because we've got one at our lodge for work. Sure. And uh, I remember chatting to Andrew Patterson about architecture and it's like, well, if you build something that's cherished and that lasts forever or, you know, hundreds of years yeah. versus something that's like, six star green rated but it's you know it, yeah it has to be demolished in 20 years or whatever um but there's other components to sustainability which you know this land rover i think they're cherished they're not made anymore it's going to be repaired it's going to be looked after there's no way that thing's going to the right. landfill anytime soon it's going to keep getting repaired um yeah, you know, we'll pass it down to our kids and whatever, and it'll be this heirloom in the family. And I kind of think, the, yeah, there's something beautiful to that, and not this consumeristic approach of you know breaks, throw it away, get the next one. 
Um, but then if yeah. that does happen, you want that process to be to be as sustainable as possible and that cradle to grave design. But um, I mean, with this, it's great to hear you've got these other business models and and because it is such a big problem, you're getting, you know, to be able to supply all these other shapers who are just passionate about surfing and want to shape a, a great board, but they don't, you know, they don't have the resources and time to develop technologies. And I think of all birds, you know, creating their own, you know, whether it's wool technology or, you know, plant-based soles out of sugar zephyr or whatever they call it. Um, I mean, has this come from obviously your own intuition and research, but I mean, you've got, uh, have you got business partners on board? Have you got advisors? Have you got, uh, you know, other people who want to be part of this kind of mission too? Because I, I, one of our guests, Phil, I think was helping you out maybe. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is there... Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like lots lots of people, like a few business partners, a few investors, and um, just lots of people over the years who have just sort of taken interest in, um, and given me advice and sort of pieced together the puzzle. and. Um, yeah, it's just kind of like, I guess, putting together the kind of plan and, and figuring out the steps of t trying to achieve it. It's just kind of, um, it's probably been like a sort of seven, 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 six, seven year process of looking into things like watching, even just watching videos of other shapers um, talking about like um, sustainability is a great one because they're obviously all aware of the materials that they're using. And, and then you sort of say, okay, that's the problem. That's the hurdles. That's why they haven't done a chat, you know, they, they haven't got either technical abilities or, you know, they're too busy just making surfboards to experiment with other things and then trying to just figure out the, um, the their hurdles and what opportunities they create and trying to develop a system that can um, that can fit in and, and, and fill that, that gap, I guess. Um, but, yeah, lots of people, dozens of people over the years who have given advice and, and, and help and, and feedback and added to the this, both the product and the kind of... Um, business model but it's still very early days you know and it's like i'm sure it will change again um as we figure out you know uncover more challenges and stuff but um the nice thing about having like that sort of vision and that plan it's, there's certain things that i do in here um in the factory here where, where like if i i don't justify the amount of effort put into uh, maybe it might be a piece of machinery based on the volume of boards that i produce but because you know that we've got this model in place where one day we could license that technology to someone else um having that feature on that machine means that it's you know it, it would be of value to them um for example we just um finished like a software development app where we've got a like a touchscreen ipad app for one of our machines um and like that's just you know like kind of uh unnecessary extra extravagance for us because we only make like two or three boards a week but if someone let's say a really um well-known shaper in maybe australia was like oh i really want to i like what you're doing i really want to come over and and check it out and maybe look at getting something similar set up in australia if they flew over here not that they're allowed to at the moment anyway but hypothetically um and we showed them that machine they could you know we could show them how it works and it's all kind of set up ready to go and it makes that expansion a lot easier um so it's nice to have those big you know big vision plans and that but just baby steps at the moment yeah um, yeah uh, I, was, I was watching you know 180 degrees south the patagonia film the other night um i keep rereading their books and you're just starting by just wanting to make a better uh like climbing 
tool yeah and blacksmithing that and then just having enough funds to go climbing and surfing again and then get into the rugby jerseys and they're just trying to solve their own problems um yeah, and yeah. so it's really reminiscent of that but it's uh it's strange that you know i mean is there anyone in the industry who's doing anything similar because i you know look at the timber tech boards that's obviously maybe a slight improvement on a regular board yeah. i mean what else is there out there that you've seen or is there anything else um that inspires you or because other people must have tried to attack this um as well yeah. you would have thought totally yeah so um there's like a few well the, there's like uh like timber tech boards are pretty similar to ours in the sense that they have uh, parabolic timber rails eps core and wood skins um the difference between that their construct so that and the reason and they make they initially they set up factories in australia and america and they were making the boards locally um i don't really know the full story but my understanding is that they just offered maybe 20 or 30 shapes and uh, shapes and sizes you know they had a, a, a sort of slim offering and you just had to choose like stock dims and then and that was it um i know that's the case now that they've moved their manufacturing to thailand so they obviously they have more shapes and they have more sizes and stuff but one of the so one of the challenges, well, I guess it's probably best to talk about the way that ordinary conventional polyurethane and fiberglass boards are made, um, and then I can talk about the um, the making of like the sandwich construction board, which is um, more in line with what we do and what the guys at at Firewire make. Um, so, when like a conventional um, polyurethane board is made using thirty two kilogram per cube um, polyurethane foam, and it's got a stringer in the middle. And it's a really high density foam. And um, most of them you buy a, a blank, which is like a surfboard plus about 30%. And then the shaper will um, design a board and CAD and, um, and fit that board inside that blank and cut it on a CNC machine and then finish it by hand. Some shapers obviously still do like hand shaping. So they, um, they just get that blank and they, they shape the board out um, by hand. I think like, uh, I mean, I don't know the, the stats on it, but I'd say the majority of the boards now are cut on the machine and, and finished by hand. And then you've got, I mean, so you get that gives you your, your board and then you've got your fiberglass, which is just a, a thin fabric. Um, it's quite heavy and it's really malleable and it conforms to curves. And then, so what you do is you pull that out, you bang it on the board, cut off the excess, and then you um, saturate it with resin and squeegee the resin into the fiberglass, let that cure, sand it, and then, you know, do a few top coats and stuff to make it nice and pretty. And so that's the way that most ordinary boards are made. And you can pretty much make a board in a garage with um, a planer, some sandpaper, the squeegee and the, and the raw materials. So very like low um, entry to market and the boards like surf really good. And, um, and so that's like, uh, like if you just want to make boards and, um, and make a living and, and, and have time to surf and not have heaps of overheads, you know, that's a really perfectly viable you know business and and good on you um the more like as soon as you start trying to make um a board where you want to glue say wood's like a really um strong material and it makes it makes for a really um high uh, like obviously like you know with your firewire boards i can't imagine you've got many dings on them they probably look almost brand new and, and the reason for that is that you've got your um, foam core and then you've got those boards have like fiberglass and then wood and then fiberglass. And so what you're doing is you're creating a barrier between where your feet are going to impact the board and um, the soft 
um, foam and you're creating a gap of about four mil. So that um, means that the impact isn't going to be anywhere near as heavy as like a polyurethane board with a, a fiberglass layer because in that case, there's probably only about maybe a mil between the top of the foam and the top of the, um, the fiberglass. And that's why you get all those pressure dings and stuff. The challenge with making a board where you want to stick wood on top um, is that um, when, you, when you go to glue that wood onto the board, if you don't have something underneath the board to maintain the rocker or the curve, then the, um, the wood is going to supersede the curvature of the board and you're going to end up with a somewhere in between the board that you wanted and a flat piece of wood. Yeah. <laughs> and so what you got to do, if you, if you want to start making boards with those, um, it does, and it, I, I use wood as an example, but there's a whole lot of other examples where you can find people who make boards where they, it's called sandwich construction, but basically where you go low density foam, some sort of fiber and then a high density material on top um you need to have a mold and or, or a jig and so there's two ways that you well there's previously before we started making the boards there was one way where you could one way of doing molds and that's for every board that you make you have a mold um like a platform that you build the board on what we um what we did is we decided that um we wanted to and and, and so obviously sorry um if, if you're doing that then you can only really offer the the customer the the shapes and sizes that you have molds for um or like if if you wanted to you could say for example make a board but then you'd have to factor in the cost of the mold production for that particular board and then you'd have to decide whether or not you wanted to keep that mold or or throw it away and um and so if you want to start doing the boards the way that we do them using the molds then you can't you won't necessarily be able to offer the same sort of custom service that someone who makes boards out of polyurethane foam and, and, and fiberglass can because you need the molds. And so what I decided to do was I wanted to try and offer that full custom service so like people can get whatever they want up to obviously like there's a, there's a length limit, but that's about it. So we can make anything you can imagine up to nine foot six, but using these materials that I, I personally think are like, well, then I don't, I don't think you could, anyone could dispute that it's a more environmentally friendly way of making boards and I personally think that it makes um, a better quality product, um, whether it be like, you know, the, the hemp or the wooden stuff that we use. Um, so I wanted to kind of merge those two. And so what I decided to do was invest all the money that I had saved for a house into building like a reconfigurable mold. And so um, it's like this kind of big vacuum enclosed chamber. And inside it, it's got like, we've got two, we've got like a big one and a small one, depending on board length. And um Inside it, there's like um, the big one's got like 15 motors and they all move independently to create whatever rocker um, that we want the board to be. And it all it talks to the, the CAD program and it all goes through like a, um, an iPad now, like an iPad app. And then that you touch screen and you, you put your board in, position it where you want it on the, on the iPad app. And then you send that information to this big machine and it, it moves and configures the board. That idea came from, there's a company called North Sails in America. I think they're based in Texas and they make um, lots of sails for yachts. And obviously when you're making a sail for a big boat, um, you kind of want to have some control about over like the, the foil of that sail. And, um, and there's probably thousands of parameters that I don't know anything about. Um, and so, so that when the wind catches that sail, it fills, it fills it up, you know, and it has the right foil. 
And so there's two ways you could do that. Obviously the same with the surfboards. You can have a um, load of molds and only offer 10 different sizes, or you can have a smaller factory with one mold and, um, but it's adjustable, you know? And so I sort of saw that video and I thought oh, I could, I could do something like that. And um, that video is all online. You can go and watch it. It's pretty cool. Actually. It's pretty impressive. I think their machine's got like 160 independent actuators, which create this, whatever curve you design, like three-dimensional curve that you design in your CAD program in this massive room. And then they have these big 3D printers that go along and lay the different fight fabrics and stuff over the, the foil of the sail. And so it's basically that, but for surfboards. Um, and that means that I can offer, yeah, full custom service like you could get from any other local shaper, but in these unique materials. Yeah, yeah that's, um, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I was, that makes sense that some of the sailing technologies or, you know, other industries would overlap with um, what you want to do. And there has been like this resurgence of people wanting custom logs and, you know, that, you know, those custom dimensions and different things like that. So that's really neat. You can cater to that. Have you got a favorite kind of board um, at the moment? I was chatting to the guys in the Naki at Crystal Cylinders the other day about like the rise and kind of the mid-length surfboards yeah. coming back i see you started doing some of those and the hemp fins is there anything you're kind of excited about at the moment i'm actually making myself a um shortboard at the moment i want to get back into shortboarding i've been doing the alternative i've been writing the alternative scene for like maybe i don't know like probably five or six years i haven't like had a, a, a good shortboard and um i've just been writing like fishes lots of logs and the odd mid-length and stuff. Oh, I had a, a real nice mid-length that I was my go-to board for maybe the last four or five years. But then I was like, no, nah, I'm going to sell them and, and try some different stuff. And I'm going to go back to riding shortboards, I think. That's the plan anyway. We'll see how it goes. I've got two kids under two and haven't surfed that much lately. So it might, <laughs> it might be short-lived. But um, yeah, I miss I miss thrusters. Just miss thrusters. Oh, but yeah, cool. I, go, I, go, I go through stages. Yeah. Um, but as far as like, our sales go, like we probably make, I'd say, um, forty percent of our boards will be fishers. Maybe forty percent will be midlengths, and then twenty percent sort of, uh, maybe like yeah, fifteen percent logs, and then five percent other things. You know, um, lots. Yeah, cool. Lots are of these, people are into the fishers a lot. Yeah, are these coming. Um, just when I mean, you got a great website. Uh, new website are these just coming directly to you from online channels or do you try and distribute you know it's cool that you're doing your own another factory in raglan um yeah what's the sales strategy there like if someone's interested in their board and a board do they just kind of go through your website or is there how's that kind of work yeah yeah so usually we um so that we've got so on the website we've got it set up um, I guess I should, should mention that like, we don't have any like retailers. Unfortunately, like the labor costs involved in making our board just make it not really worthwhile for someone to um, resell them. Like we wouldn't, you know, we'd lose money and, and they wouldn't make as much as if they were to buy a board from overseas. Mm. So I think the retail, like for retailers, I think most of them, you know, just import boards from Thailand and stuff. The labor costs in Thailand, I think it's like $1.50 an hour or something compared to obviously minimum wage here is 20 bucks now. And we pay, like um, our glasses on like 29 an hour kind of thing. So, you know, we try and like make sure that we, you know, pay good, pay our staff well. Um, but in doing that, it means that we haven't really got like a retail margin on the board. So we just sell direct to customers. 
And what we like kind of what we sort of set up now is online. You can go and you can design your custom board, and you can enter in as much as you like. You can enter in as much information as you can, and then there's a button on there where you can say chat to shaper, and then you can put in your like contact details and the time that suits you, and then you um, go through like checkout, and you can do it without paying anything, obviously. And then I get all that information that I need in one page and kind of get a feel for what you're after. And then I just give them a call and kind of go through and, and answer any questions and, and maybe like fill in the blanks around the sizing. And so we launched that, that app maybe, or that online order thing, maybe like four or five months ago, I think. And it's been going really well. And um, it, like, it, it means that we can like, uh, it cuts down the kind of back and forth, you know, like questions, you know, cause it gets everything in one place. So it means that we can, um, kind of instead of when we're chatting to them we don't have to go back and read all this you know like read all our messages and stuff that we which is what we were previously doing lots of like pages and pages of messages over instagram to try and figure out the right board and then you're talking to like five guys at once and you're like oh that person's and then you get the, the, the weights and stuff modeled up and so it's been really good and then also it gives it gives the customer a chance because we've got all our colors and all our materials and stuff on there um and we're kind of constantly updating it every time we kind of like add a new color or whatever it gives them a chance to kind of play and see what the board's going to look like, um, which is, and they're just, re, they're just like kind of quick renders, but it, they do look pretty similar to the finished boards. And then so people can like try something out and they go, oh, you know, I think that might look cool instead of, you know, um, us, you know, having to draw it all up on the software and stuff, they can just do it then and there and go through and try out a whole lot of different options and stuff. And, um, and people have been really enjoying playing with that as well. And yeah. they get a product that they like more because you know they've they've designed it themselves. Yeah, it's awesome that the webs you know got the new website, the work on the new technology. Um, yeah, I'm excited to 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 try out one of your boards. Uh, and is there, you know, is there anything um, that you've checked out lately in terms of documentaries, in terms of books, in terms of what? It, Anything else you'd like to share with people that are excited about the moment? Maybe it's just, you know, the new hemp technology you're working on. Yeah, I mean, I think I've talked enough about the boards, but um, I, I, one of the things that I've been getting into lately, and you've probably got a lot to um, input on it as well, is um, obviously when, I, when I'm when i on the tools, I'm wearing earmuffs, and um, it's getting to the point now where making the boards, it, it doesn't require, like, all my attention. So I've been listening to heaps of podcasts, um, and I've got some good ones some real good ones actually well, do you listen to sam harris at all yeah a little bit a little bit um one of my best mates is a big fan of sam harris uh yeah not a, i haven't listened to him a whole lot but a little bit is, is there a favorite podcast with him that oh uh, yeah some of the ones that he's been doing recently are really interesting he did one the other day it's like five hours long and it's called the reckoning to come um i can't remember the name of the guy he was talking to but that was fascinating I mean, that one's behind a paywall. Um, I've subscribed and yeah, I, I think it's real, really worthwhile. But I was keen to see what podcasts you listen to as well. Um, yeah, well, that um, for people that want to check out Sam Harris, uh, the you know, you can, he does have a paywall, but you can also just submit and say, you know, if you can't afford the paywall, he lets you in. So it's really great. But I mean, I think that is the model for the future is high quality content that is user supported. So they don't need to compromise with ads and, um yeah so that's neat uh one of the guys i love who's actually a big wave surfer that grew up with Leonard hamilton 
is Dr. Demartini. You wouldn't look, if you saw him, you wouldn't know he was a big way surfer, but he's got incredible um, life, personal growth, kind of coaching, goal setting mindset. But he studies all the astrologies. He reads hundreds of books on each discipline in life from philosophy to astrophysics to um, personal behavior. Uh, so I find oh. his stuff incredible around values and getting into your forebrain and where your real true potential is and how to think about the yin and yang of life, that every positive has got a negative, every negative has got a positive. So you don't have... Um, you know, regrets or tension with people or, um, you know, uh, grief over someone. You see the beauty in everything. A bit like a psychedelic experience, but um, he's great. I think what else am I into at the moment? Um, I used to enjoy a lot the how I built this podcast, you know, just stories like yourself. Uh, That was, that was great. And then lots of health ones with, um, like so Paul Check and uh you know bulletproof radio a little bit of Ben Greenfield um but yeah business health and kind of personal growth in my uh <laughs> have you ever tried have you ever given the Russell Brand podcast a go yeah I listened to quite a few clips from Russell Brand um I actually feel like he's pretty articulate like he's a great presenter he just, I just shared one of his clips today he talked about you know how everything's politicized at the moment um so yeah and then on business kind of hacks and stuff my first million is great they're okay. just great on it's it's doesn't have the sustainability kind of consciousness but they're just they're like oh that's an interesting business like how does that model work they kind of break down businesses talk to investors talk to um you know from blue collar to tech you know from like a hot dog yep. stand to um, you know, venture funding to everything in between. It's quite good for ideas around oh. business models. Um, and they break down industries too in their newsletter, like like hotel industry or, you know, how things make money. They're kind of usually quite different to how you think. Maybe it's a subscription or a license rather than a product. And, sure. um, so and then like, um, more insights into like the behind the scenes kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, they, they talk about they've got an email newsletter business with like, I think a couple of million or a million subscribers and it's, I think they sold it for $40 million or something. You know, it's like the value of, you can build an email business um, around a niche and yeah, that's quite cool. But, um, and I've been loving all the surf barbarian days, like the book and all the surf history yeah. stuff at the moment too. But uh, yeah, what about yourself? I before I was making surfboards, I used to just read surf mags and listen to surf podcasts. But then now that like I um, I like spend you know eight to ten hours a day making surfboards, I kind of <laughs> it's a bit you know it's enough you know. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> As I've been finding some other ones, and I just the last few months I've just been really getting into like um, some really interesting podcasts, and that's I reckon it's for me it's a great way of um, of getting information is because you, you know i can do it whilst i'm working instead of you know if i'm trying to find time to read a book with two kids has become quite challenging <laughs> yeah exactly i mean yeah someone that's busy like like yourself and got family um and you're working it's yeah it's a great way to learn is there anything else in your routine with you know uh, you know healthy habits or anything you love to do well, there should be my son. Well, he, actually, the last two days he's been sleeping till seven o'clock, but usually he wakes up at five thirty. So, um, I'm 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 up pretty early as it is, and I think if I wanted to try and find time to do, well, I used to jump in the sea, in um every day, 
we've got, we live by the water and um, across the road from our house, there's this really nice little water hole and some rocks that you can jump off. Jumping headfirst into cold water at like six in the morning is, uh, is really good, but it's one of those things that, and um, I, I guess I kind of was inspired by the Wim Hof, who's and I, he's on the Russell Brand podcast a few times. And um, if you get into the routine of doing it, um, and it becomes easier and easier and easier, and then you stop for like a couple of days, and then it's it's bloody hard to get back into it. And so I haven't been doing that this winter, but when summer comes around, I get back into the habit. Yeah, I love Wim. I, I trained with him about six years ago when he first came to New Zealand, and uh, oh wow! And I, I've just been getting back into his. I did his breathing this morning, but I cold yeah, a cold shower and swim in the sea around. But I, I'd love to get the cold, the ice. Ice plunge will be the next <laughs> one of the Bro, next investments. Um, yeah, but bit too warm up here compared to Wellington. <laughs> I mean, the water down there is probably water. yeah. Uh, we get down to like ten degrees, I think, in the winter, which is probably what's that ice bucket? What's the temperature of an ice bucket supposed to be? Well, I mean, if you're just doing ice, you know, my mate Art Green's got like a chest freezer, so it's you know, it yeah. would be, I'd imagine it's about five degrees or close to to zero. Um, but the water up here doesn't get much lower than kind of 15 something like that um oh yeah yeah so i mean you can get a bit of head freeze in the middle of winter but that's about it um yeah yeah but i I um, can't do the cold showers because it's like um with the cold showers it's too like tempting to like just flip the switch you know and turn the hot on whereas once you commit like and you're jumping head first into cold water there's no going back you know yeah even like walk, I can't do the walking into cold water as well. I got to go full commit, dive in. That's great though. It's like having like um, three cups of coffee, I reckon, without the without the um, the kind of real like wired, you know. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm so sold on it. It's just the best, like I say, the best thing, no side effects. But um, oh, awesome. Well, uh, appreciate your time. I guess if people want to want to get aboard, find out more, they can go to Vajura, uh, com or um, on the Instagram. Is there anything else you want to kind of send people to to look at? Yeah, I think it's I think it's com is our website. And um, but the best thing to do is just jump on the Instagram and then have a look, and you can get an idea of the work that we do. And if it's something that you're into, um, they can just send me a DM. I usually check my Instagram like in the mornings at lunch and at, at night and so I'll, I'll get back to them pretty soon cool um, cool and I, they, I guess if anyone sorry i was going to say and you're, you're raglan fat you got your factory in wellington and and then um the shop there and then a raglan coming soon as the next yeah we've got like a, a barn the next thing we're working on is this barn in raglan and it's we're working with a local shaper up there called dave valley and so um initially we're just going to make a batch um of like sort of demo boards um and so they're going to be working on those for the next few months and then hopefully by summer they'll be able to he'll be able to do custom orders but we're not quite there yet we're still sort of getting it set up and stuff but um hopefully not too far away oh no it's inspiring i think you know the opportunity to build the next patagonia or all birds or something in the surf space um yeah and from new zealand would be it's pretty cool so Amazing to see you hear, hear more about your work. And uh, I mean, it's the one thing I think we're missing up up where we are uh, north of Auckland. Tiara is kind of a cool surf spot that's around sustainability. You know, the as I was, we're friends with the the founder of CEO Rip Curl, 
or former CEO and um, talking about how these brands have been diluted and they've lost not just the sustainability piece, but they've kind of lost the um, the brand essence too. Whereas Patagonia, sure. I feel like, is the one that's kept innovating, kept pushing a good message, and actually does what they say. Um, so, I yeah. Think, well, I think it's one of the very few brands of that scale in this sort of surf space where it's like still family owned. Um, and that's, I guess, that's probably what like driven that like longevity and stuff, you know, um, where as soon as like a lot of those other big surf brands, they get to a, a big scale and then they go public and, um, and then, you know, that's when it gets a bit complicated. You know, like it's not just about like raw materials, um, manufacturing techniques, and then like, you know, pri pricing and sa sales and stuff. There's like all this, there's so many people in the pipeline and there's so many ideas and so many like um, just really like, um like looking into things like looking into the materials way deeper and 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 trying to like and thinking about what the product means to people and 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 what surfing means to people and it's the first time in my life that i've had a um a work which is you know like goes into those sorts of avenues been really enjoying it actually whereas the industrial design degree is very very much like you know that uh, there's element of that but it's not not to that same extent yeah, I mean, I chatted to a friend who had a B Corp in China, like a sustainable business pizza company, Jade Gray. Um, he gave me the B Corp book, and and he was one of the first to do that. He's, you know, Jane Goodall's his idol, and he's did did all the sustainable kind of pizza company thing over there. Uh, but yeah, he always talked about, you know, I remember to him about the personal growth and all those elements. You know, you've got this, it's like a real like consciousness expanding. But then, um, yeah. To have that business model, uh, you know, my dad was an entrepreneur coach and, you know, a lot of my friends, organic mechanic guys were great, but they, you know, have this incredible product and everything, but if you don't have the business model and some kind of scalable option or some something that actually makes money, it's not, like the first rule of the B Corp was to have a, a money-making business because otherwise it's not even, yeah. and so that, um, piece is the piece i'm trying to really work on i'm like if i get the farm i've got the accommodation component which would be the cash cow to fund the things that are left less profitable potentially yeah. um yeah so that's how i'm kind of thinking about things a little bit more like how you can scale them to actually have a greater impact um yeah yeah so it's tricky yeah like it's the well i mean it, if, if you want to it depends if you want to do the investment part and if that's something that you're interested in, what I've sort of um, learned and realized is that um, like some of the businesses that I've had in the past or been involved in, like um, they, you know, they, you might be able to make decent money, but if you left that business would crumb, you know, they, it wouldn't be a business. It, it's all based on you and your time. And you'd never be able to raise capital for a business like that or do anything kind of groundbreaking because you, um, there's no like kind of opportunity for expansion. All you're doing is offering a service that, you know, if you didn't do it five other people could you know could do it and so what i sort of always wanted to do and it's only really with this business that i've had the opportunity to do it is try and figure out something where it's like unique to my sort of knowledge and skill set and it's something that if i didn't do it i know that no one else would do it and the reason for that is because in the short term it doesn't make financial sense you know to go and invest um that amount of money into um into something that's gonna you know like you earn minimum you know I, I pretty much pay myself like minimum wage you know 
And so you'd have to be crazy to do it. But because it's got that like bigger vision and, and I have got a sort of maybe like slightly like um, ambitious goal of where it could go, it just it means it's justifiable for me to take those initial steps and then other investors can see that I'm committed and, and, and also that, you know, I'm capable of doing what I say I'm going to do and then they jump on board and then you can sort of start to scale it up. And so it's just, yeah, it's like a really interesting approach to business. I reckon it's where you kind of go like, um, you know, use the equity in the company to kind of to grow the company, right? Yeah. No, that's, that's um, so it reminds me like Peter Thiel's zero to one book. And so, you know, you try and create a technology, a point of difference or something. And then once you've got that, then you can just like go hard, but it's creating that in the first instance. Yeah. Um, and obviously with what you're doing to create something that's quite, you know, unique in the surf space, um, that's super exciting. So has Phil been quite helpful though? Because he's, I mean, he's a smart product guy, isn't he? And he's got, yeah. he's done well. Yeah, so he, um, he was the uh, head of design at um, Zero and one of yeah. the founders. And so, um, yeah, so he, he's really clued up um, with, well, just, I mean, just being part of a business that size that's expanded that fast is pretty, um, you'd learn so much, you know, from that experience of Zero, And um, and that Xero's obviously grown really well. And um, a lot of people in globe, like nationwide, but particularly in Wellington have made, you know, like a lot of money from it because they're all kind of friends with the founders and stuff and got in nice and early. Um, and so he was really, like me and him used to talk quite a lot in the sort of early days and I was kind of figuring out the business sort of stuff. And then as the, as my kind of like challenges have changed and evolved, um, I've sort of been working with, you know, other people who are more like sort of um, specific to those particular challenges. But obviously just being like a kind of single founder, I kind of just pick one battle at a time and just kind of work on that until it's done and then do the next thing and then do the next thing. And, um, and so it's very much like kind of like, you know, I work with these people for this amount of time and then, you know, go and work with these people and then go and work with these people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the early days in particular, yeah, he was really involved and, and he was great and just piecing things together, you know, and throwing ideas around. And if you have it all in your head, it kind of gets a bit muddled and you get a bit confused. But once you start sharing it with other people, then it can, it's really good for clarity. Yeah. And people that have been there before and, and scaled, you know, yeah, those models. I mean, that's what my dad used to run in Wellington. Actually, was the top entrepreneur group, like Mark Rocket, the founder of Rocket Lab, the guys at Cosmic Corner. I mean, there's just all kinds of crazy businesses. They used to catch up each quarter, and um, I used to go along when I was studying and eat free apples and <laughs> listen to the speak yeah. uh, uh, people. And um, and yeah, I just love that. I want to get more into that. And I mean, up where we are, the one interesting thing about the lodge is it's freaking tough work because um, we're quite small and we don't have the size yet to get the staff and we might actually change the model a bit but um between Tareti and our guests I mean I meet like the people I meet are like the best of the best of the best from around the world um you know like Phil we got Greg Cross who's the founder of Soul Machines the AI company we got this guy John oh, who's a top tech Investor with like Jack Ma's best mate, you get um, <laughs> they're just one of the most incredible entrepreneurs in a whole lot of different spaces, and and it's great when they're into surfing. We uh, I actually had purist surfboards, you know, the guy that makes the Elias um, 
they got a custom one of her of him to hang in the lodge and and I was chatting to him like, like yeah have you met him local, he's a local guy yeah he's from Paru I think yeah yeah I think it's Nick um I was like man you've got a I had the whole business model figured out for him. Like, man, you got to just you got to make, make these into works of art, not surf. You know, surfboards. You know, a brand video. Um, get it positioned in the right places, not on trade me next to because he there's a lot of cheaper kind of frilly patterned things as well, like hand planes and um, yeah, yeah. And I was like, you you position this right. You greenstone. Use the whole story. I'm like, you could sell these for ten x what you're doing. Um, but I think he's a little bit stuck uh in his ways but i mean yeah geez it'd be cool to help support maybe i try and get a board of yours up here and um you see what comes of it because you know you get someone like greg uh you know he's in the surfing he's you know max with john john florence and you just don't know what comes of you know kelly slater spends every summer out here for the golf tournament you know it's just yeah you don't, you don't know what uh what comes of these things do you Totally, yeah, yeah. One of the challenges I've, um, I guess, like, because uh, we make everything to order, um, I quite often get people like, and they'll be like, "Oh, I'm in New Zealand for like three weeks. Um, really want to like come and do a workshop and, and make my board and stuff." And I'm like, "Oh man, I got like a three month, you know, like lead time." And <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you told me that before you came, like two months before you came, or you know, but um, so most of my like most of my uh, customers are like local because you know the, the lead time so long, but. Um, or two, two to three months usually, but um, it's still be cool to have one in there. Just you know, you can you can surf it, and, but they're pretty similar to firewires. Like if you like firewires, the feel of the firewires, you'd, you'd like our boards. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, we the whole lodge is all New Zealand's. You know, Dick Frizzell's a friend. We got his art up on the wall. We got you know all bird jandals in the rooms, all the products, no chemicals on site. So we try and use everything New Zealand. You know, I don't think there wouldn't be anything that's like not New Zealand made and organic. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it'd be cool to get get one of your boards up here eventually. But that's why the lodge is quite small and it's higher end. I'd rather have, so I really want to get this farm because I'm like, you could scale, you know, you could actually have a surf shop there and boards to hire. And, you know, you'd have all kinds of things yeah. in too. Um, so yeah. we'll see. But, yeah, it might be. Yeah, I'm going to see how I go with uh, just just fundraising with friends and then I might be able to put it out um, to a wider audience yeah. or to some other investors. But um, yeah, sounds, sounds cool. like, yeah, sounds, uh, yeah, we could follow your progress. Sounds like you got a good, good uh, vision. Yeah, I'm just sort of, yeah, I'm at the end of the technical challenges now. I can show you the workshop actually. I'll show you some of the, oh, show yeah, that cool. Have you got, have you got time? Um, yeah. So that's, this is like our wood processing stuff. And then these are those big machines. I didn't want to put it on the podcast because, well, I know you don't show the video anyway, but you never know who's going to watch it and stuff. But um, like this is like the little iPad app here. So, um, so who would develop this tech and stuff for you? You, you, is this just well, through? I, I designed and built the machines, and then I hired a software developer to make this app. Yeah, and so um, it's all like touchscreen, and then that sets all, all the rocker up. And there's uh, like underneath there, there's like 15 little motors all working away to make the shape. Yeah. And then and then you glue it all up over here and then you close that lid and then turn on the vacuum pump. And then that sucks the board down and sets the rocker. 
Um, and then over here, we've got like a, um, a CNC machine, which does all the cutting and stuff. And so, yeah, it's getting there. Cool. And but, what about, um, what about? I kind of like sometimes. I was just going to say, what, what about those? What about what, sorry? Because you've got different kind of paint, um, you know, resin kind of finishes. Uh, yeah. You kind of paint the boards yourself or do you have a kind of a set? Because um, some of them are pretty cool. Just... So we met, pigs are all like uh, colors that are like derived from soil. And so oh, we mix yeah. those into like the resin and stuff, and then that's how we do the color work. So, um, and that's just, uh, yeah, all natural. And like, you get that kind of, there's one there that you can sort of see with like a stain on it. Yeah. And that one there's got like a um, full full um, intensity. So do all that in house as well. Everything's pretty much done in house. Like I tried to outsource some stuff, but then you just end up relying too many, too much on other people and then piss your customers off, you know? Yeah, and the um, is the hemp much of a leap forward with the fins and the boards at all, or is that just it? So with the with the um, yeah the the wood boards with the, one of the downsides of the wood boards they're quite stiff, and so what that means like because we've got like two really thick strong layers on top and bottom. Or like one layer, sorry, top and bottom. It's like a, if you think of it like an I beam, and you've got like really thick. If you've got like a, a you know thin vertical, and then two really thick um, top and bottom plates, it means that they don't have a lot of flex. Um, and so with the hemp and swapping the wood out for hemp, it means that we can make we have the same kind of core construction with the wooden rails, and then we um, just put the hemp on top and or bottom, and that makes them a lot more flexible. Yeah. And um, some of the guys who have said like the hemp hemp boards, like the short boards that we've done, like the prototypes and stuff, they say they're the best best boards they've ever surfed because they've just got so much flex. Um, and yeah, hemp's just a lot, um, hemp's just like a lot more flexible than fiberglass. Oh, that's awesome. I'd be, yeah, super keen on that. That sounds um, great. Well, hopefully I can find a, some budget might have to sell a uh, sell a board and uh, get get a. I really want to get a cool mid length, so that would oh, be sweet. a fun fun yeah. thing to do with um do with you guys. What is your does your partner into surfing as well? No, no. Her um her cousin's actually like New Zealand female longboard champion. Oh wow! Um, yeah, but she she's and I. So when I when I met her, I was like, oh, it's in it's in her jeans, you know, she'll love it. Like, <laughs> It's not for her. We, took, we, yeah. we tried a few times, but she just didn't enjoy it. Um, she's from England and brought up like inland. So just, you know, wasn't really kind of, um, I think everyone in New Zealand, right? You're always, you're never more than like an hour from sea. Yeah. Um, or maybe like two in some places, some parts of the country. But like, a, a, and, and I think like in, if you're brought up in, in, in London or whatever, it's just not part of your childhood. And you, you just kind of have this kind of, um, a lot of people, I guess, have like a little bit of fear of it and she just never really warmed to the ocean so she's quite happy just to sit on the beach and <laughs> yeah cool oh the kids um yeah it's something i wish i learned when i was younger because i grew up in the naki but always played out the sports but it's just um 
it's just so so fun. I'm actually thinking I might try and hit up to Ahipara tonight or early in the morning and yeah, get a wave up there. But um, oh, cool man. It's uh, yeah, it's fun. It'll be cool to cool to catch up in person too. And um, yeah, I've been out of Wellington a long time either. But uh. Yeah, yeah travel's a bit trippy at the moment. I guess you're kind of stuck. Like you can't go, you can't come south. Eh? You're like you're stuck nah, up there. No, we we just go north. But I mean, I, I don't have much to leave. You know, I was hoping to maybe do a ski trip, but then I'm trying to save money and sort this farm out. So I'm actually pretty happy just working on Anthony Bourdain kind of painting series and um, been teaching kind of yoga online and just doing the marketing for the lodge and stuff. So I have plenty to do here, and um, if I can go surfing occasionally, that's a bonus. But um, yeah, I'm just trying to work out my uh, like big, bigger visions and with the farm and different things and kind of, you know, use the time to get really like focused and do what I, do more of what I enjoy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can still do Zoom calls too, which is which is cool. Catch up with different people. Yeah. So, yeah. It's just an, in- it's an interesting position to be like stuck in the... Um, just to be like you know blocked off by you know like this area like have this kind of landmark in the way of you like oh travel well the th- i'm that quite into bizarre. like my doctor was the guy who hit up covid plan b and you know like train under wim hof and all these kind of incredible people and different doctors and this idea of like mass like i get that my granddad my dad got the vaccine the, um but this idea of like you can't work and you can't travel unless you've got this vaccine passport, which doesn't prove anything. I'm like, it's, there's some quite, I'm trying to stay out, just do all the positive things, but there are some like shifts going on. <laughs> you can't, and you're like, where's it, where's it, where are they going to draw the lines? Like, it's going to be, yeah. a, it's going to be a seasonal flu um, kind of thing. Uh, but these kind of mandates they're putting in is, is, is going to have to come to, some conclusion yeah i just think it's it's inevitable that if it's mutated what four or five times so far um and every time it mutates it becomes more and more contagious and less um like the the vaccine is less effective you know like unless they go every year it'll be a new vaccine it'll be a new vaccine you know yeah, I mean, if you look at Bruce Lipton's work and Zach Bush and how the immune system actually functions and viruses are, um, you know, mutations of toxicity and virus, like this is a mutation from a toxic, stressful environment. You know, they come out of these places like China where all the glyphosate's used and uh, and then it's like to update, like a software update for immune system. And then, but it's like, so what's 90% of people or whatever get it, don't even know they had it or they have a slight, you know, it's the people that are immune compromised who are um so for me it's kind of like a like a symptom of toxicity in parts of the world and then and then it's highlighting how poor people's health is i think 60 percent of people have like two more comorbidities you know the yeah. rates of diabetes 60 percent of food is processed most people don't exercise or get enough you know you just all that kind of stuff i'm like well people big opportunity for improvement and in, in health um so yeah, pretty incredible experience to be part of. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's funny, man. It's, it's good time to go surfing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like the fact that 
um, one person's died so far, I think, with this outbreak. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, I mean, the fear, like Bruce Lipton talks about the fear of something shuts down your immune system. Like if you're in such a stressed, fearful state as if a tiger's going to approach you, and that's the message that's put out every day. It's like, um, you know, wonder people are more susceptible, but I think we're uh, in a pretty good country and a pretty good place. And Oh, totally, man. Yeah, like um, imagine having the anxiety of like lockdown for it's 18 months in some parts of the world, eh? Like, or like even now, then like England and stuff, where they're kind of just going like, ah, oh, we've given up. <laughs> but it's still, it's still rampant, and you're out there, and you're like, I might get, you know, and, and then you're just thinking about it all the time, you know? Yeah, I know that's why I'm trying to be around more, spend more time around people, and that are, um, you know, making things happen, and and just you know, and positive outlook, and being like, well, this is a great opportunity to. You know, we're all the opportunities, basically, um, yeah. to improve things, uh, to solve problems. So, oh, cool. yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I know. Hey, man. Great. <laughs> yeah, great to meet you, and I okay, appreciate, appreciate the time. I just pushed record at the end there in case there was a gym that I could uh, cut out for the gram or something. But um, I'll I'll, I'll I'll let you know when it's up and um, put that together. And yeah, also time to get you some, good, uh, Thanks, some some more sales. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's fun. Beauty. Um, nice one. Have a good one, bro. Likewise. Cheers. See ya. Gotcha. Well, there we are. Hope you dug it. Really appreciate the listen. You know what to do. Make sure to leave a review. Subscribe below. Share it with a friend. Tell someone I love you. And have the greatest day of your life. As always, think less, experience more.